for us on the cross. Take your Bibles, again, uh, your copy of the Word of God, and go to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3. You know that um, we didn't plan on being in Philippians. I've shared that with you uh, a couple times, but I think the Lord wants us to be here. Uh, this is uh, the passage that He's led us to, led me to, uh, here in Philippians chapter 3. And I'm just going to, we're just going to jump right into the text this morning. That's where the power is at anyway. Um, we're going to read right there beginning in verse number 1 of Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your place there, please stand in honor of the Word of God if you're able and you're willing. And uh, we're going to read through that entire chapter. It's only a handful of verses there. Um, but verse number 1, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision, for which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrew, as touching a law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Verse 9 says, And found in him, not having own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk as so as ye have us for an example. For many, notice the parenthesis, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things, in parenthesis. For our conversation there in verse 20 is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for this passage of Scripture, these words, this text, Lord, this letter uh, that you inspired uh, the Apostle Paul to write to the Philippian church. It's not just uh, relevant to them, Lord, but for all of us, Lord, as we as we serve you and as we worship you, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Most of all, we thank you for the cross, all the things that you provided for us through the cross, and Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that we have the power uh, through your Holy Spirit to live a resurrected life, Lord, and we thank you so much for that, Lord. Meet with us in a very special way, Lord. May we see you high and lifted up, Lord. 
Lord, use me this morning, Lord. Help me to be completely surrendered to your will and to what you want me to say and do. And, Lord, uh, meet with each and every one of us, Lord, to have the same convictions, Lord. Be with Lisa across the way, those in the nursery, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for all uh, these things, Lord. And, again, we thank you for allowing us to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please, please be seated. And as you know, I've already mentioned here this morning that God has led us to this letter to the Philippian church. And if you've been reading this letter, uh, along with your regular devotions, or if you have read it recently, um, you've, you've probably realized that it is a powerful book. There's a lot of um, significant things in this book that speak to us even today. And over the past few weeks, we have looked at really what it means to stand fast in the Lord. We had two sermons on what it means to stand fast in the Lord, to stay the course um, going into the new year. And we have also looked at it, what it means to, um, to have Christ as our life, not just um, not just to serve Him, but just to have Him be our all. I have preached so, so far this year and even a little bit of last year from chapters 1 and 4, and now again uh, in chapter 3 this morning. But a visit from chapter 2, uh, I think, will help lay us the, some foundation this morning. Uh, and, in fact, we find an important imperative from God's Word in verse 5 of chapter 2. So if you have that there, in fact, just to give you a heads up, we're going to be moving a lot through Philippians, but for the most part in Philippians. Um, but verse number 5 of chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This mind, or shall we say this way of thinking, um, can really be described in short for us in the preceding verse there in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, where Paul wrote, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So that's the, that's the mind of Christ, the way of Christ's thinking. So in other words, we are to think like Jesus. We are to think like Jesus. And Paul brings us back to this thought in our chapter this morning, chapter 3, look at verse 15. He says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. So he's talking about that mind, that way of thinking, let's be minded like Christ. So in an effort to capture the gist, if you will, of our message this morning from the Lord's book, I've entitled today's sermon just simply, Thus Minded. Thus Minded, meaning that we are to think like Jesus. We're to think like Jesus. Now this is, if y'all remember, some of us are a, a little bit older. If you remember, this is, this is more than us just wearing a what would Jesus do bracelet. It's more, it's more than that. This is replacing our way of thinking with his way of thinking. Getting rid of the way we think and putting in God's way of thinking. We are to let his mind be in us. We are to be thus minded. And in this letter from the Apostle Paul, he doesn't just preach that we should think like Jesus. He teaches us how Jesus taught, how Jesus thought, rather. And he teaches us that we are to emulate Christ in all things. And he actually gives himself as an example. He gives himself as an example. And as we look through these these, these um. These, these verses about how Paul gave himself as an example, I think of all that he wrote here, and, and, and maybe if you include all his writings, I think chapter 3 is probably one of the more difficult chapters that he had to write. It would be one of the most difficult ones that I had to write if I were in um, Paul's stead. I think they were the most difficult, but also at the same time, probably some of the most powerful words that he penned. I think it was difficult again because he wrote about himself, and nobody likes if you nobody likes writing about themselves and giving yourself as an example. And he wrote about 
the best of what he had to offer. But it was powerful at the same time because he counted all that he was, even the best that he had to offer, as nothing, as rubbish for Christ. All of that can just be gone away for the cause of Christ. In verse 7 there, we see that he wrote, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. In verse 8, he wrote, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And he continues in verse 10 by saying that he has a great desire to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. This last phrase here is what caught my attention as I was going through this. I've preached through this passage a number of times, different sermons, different applications, if you will. But this time, those last that last phrase of verse number 10 really, really jumped out at me. I don't want you to miss that phrase. Being made conformable unto his death. Paul had a desire to be conformed unto the death of Jesus Christ. He keenly realized the necessity of this foundational truth, conformity to Christ's death. This is, this is big. This is big. Conformity to Christ. If it goes along with Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, you can turn there or look here at the screen. It says, Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, when I read through verses like this, it's or any of us, when we read, it's easy maybe to just read through them. And, oh, it's just Paul, that's just this. But this is God inspiring Paul to write these things. These are true statements. It's not just words. It's not just something from the past. It's something that's very relevant today. And Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Let's Notice, notice that passage there. Notice a couple words there. Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. We get a hold of that this morning. We, we get a hold of a lot. We get a hold of it all, really. Not I, but Christ. Again, Paul had a desire to be conformed unto the death of the uh, of, of to, uh, to the death of Jesus Christ, so that he doesn't live out his life. Christ lives out Paul's life. Christ lives out Paul's life. In other words, if I can put it maybe in a, even a more summarized uh, sentence, Paul is dead. Christ is alive in Paul. And even here in Philippians chapter three. Paul's desire to be made conformable unto his death, you see there at the end of verse 10, is why? So that he might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, right there in verse number 11, right in the very next verse. I want to be made conformable unto the death of Christ so that I can attain the resurrection of the dead. Put differently and according to Paul, for him to live a resurrected life, he must first be made conformable unto the death of Jesus Christ. In Paul's mind, and and very much it should be in our mind, no death to self, no life in Christ. It's that simple. No death to self, no life in Christ. And this is truly connected back to the foundation that Paul laid in chapter 1 and verse 21, where he wrote, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the only way that Paul could conceive that he could win Christ, that he could live out the life of Christ. The only way he could press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus was to let it all out for God, to lay it all on the, on the ground, on the chopping block, if you will, for God, for Christ. 
Now, to be clear, Paul is writing about being dead to self, just to, just to drive that point home, and alive in Christ. This is what he wanted to attain. That's what he's writing about here. I have not attained, but this is what I want to attain. Now, I know that we've probably read this passage many times. Many of us have probably committed some of these verses to, to, to heart and to memory and so forth. We know about Paul. We know about Paul's letter to the Philippians. Every Christian who's even studied a little bit about the New Testament has heard about the Apostle Paul. We have learned that he was, shall we say, completely committed to Christ. He was completely committed to the cause of Christ. I like to say that he was all in. There was nothing he held back. All of it was for God. But over the years, over the hundreds of years, some have elevated Paul to a place of veneration beyond his apostleship. And we sometimes look at him as a man who has attained what he says he has not attained right here in the text. And Paul wrote that he had a desire to be conformable unto his death so that he might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained. He's on a race trying to get something, trying to reach a certain level of commitment, a certain level of surrender. See, in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. So by his own admission, Paul hasn't attained, nor has he apprehended. Which is really two different ways to look at what he's getting at here. To attain means to receive something. And to apprehend means to achieve something. And Paul has done neither of these. He's not attained or apprehended. He says that very clearly in the text. In fact, I think we can make the argument that is exactly why he is counting all things a loss so that he can. He counts all things a loss for Christ so that he can attain and apprehend. And I think this is what it means to be dead to self. And Paul realizes that any movement forward for the cause of Christ, any true movement forward for the cause of Christ, is done through death of self. It's not a a couple rungs up the ladder. It's stepping off the ladder. It's letting God work through us. It is complete submission to Christ in every area of his life. Now, this should speak volumes to all of us. It should speak right to the heart, right to the core of every one of us. Complete submission to Christ in every area of our life. He pressed forward, Paul did, to put all of his desires all of his needs, all of his expectations, all that he loves, all that he was, all that he is, all that he ever will be, he pressed forward to put all of that into the grave. But he hasn't got there yet. He hasn't got there yet. For the record, Paul, I want to say, is not writing about salvation or how to receive salvation. Remember, don't ever forget that salvation is a gift. It is a free gift given by grace. Paul is writing about a prize, not a gift, a prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he is also writing to Christians, to believers. You know, some of Paul's language, as we, as we see here and in, and in other places in Corinthians and so forth, um, it has the, the language of, of, of Olympic sports or running or, or racing or, or something like that, uh, like pressing toward the mark. Um, it resembles that of a runner in a race on behalf of his team or, or on behalf of his nation or, or what have you. You know, like a, an Olympic runner, we all watch the Olympics from time to time. Actually, I haven't watched the Olympics in many, many years, uh, but I've seen them. <laughs> I know they come on every couple of years. 
Um, but like an Olympic runner on a relay team, exerting his plan all. That's kind of what we picture Paul here. The runner here, and I want you to understand this in the vein of salvation versus prize, salvation versus reward. Well, the runner in this race, the runner in Paul's race, he is competing as a citizen, and he or she does their very best to represent who they're running for, right? One does not run a race, even in our Olympics. One does not run a race to attain or achieve citizenship. That doesn't make any sense. Or or neither will um, this runner lose their citizenship if they don't do very well. I mean, can you imagine Michael Phelps winning all those things and getting all those awards, and then he goes to some country and he fails, and America's like, nope, no more citizenship for you. Stay where you're at. Don't come back home. Ridiculous. That would be illogical. And the same is true of Paul's pressing forward for the cause of Christ. He is already a citizen of God's kingdom, as he wrote about there in verse number 20. Paul's desire, therefore, as he writes under the inspiration of God, is to be conformed unto the death of Jesus Christ so that he can live out the resurrected life of Christ. That was the mind of Paul. That should also be our mind. And whatever hesitation, I think this is important to say, whatever hesitation Paul might have had, in lifting himself up as a great example. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, if you ever wrote a book, ever thought about writing the book, and you're not going to write a whole bunch about, look what I did, look what I did, look at me, look at me. I mean, it just doesn't, it's just not natural. At least it shouldn't be. But whatever hesitation that Paul might have had in lifting up himself as a great example, which we will see later when he says, follow me, all of that was completely set aside in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Remember, Paul did not attain. He wanted to, but he didn't attain the things. He wanted to be more like Christ. And he was just a person, just like you and I, just like, just like us. He was a person. He had the same struggles. And as a Christian, he had the same Holy Spirit residing in him that you have in you. He has the same fruit of the Spirit, joy, love, uh, long-suffering, and so forth, the same fruit of the Spirit. And I think we can actually say that Paul had more challenges than we have. But yet he lived out how he lived his life out. He talks about here. So for him to not admit and highlight the areas in his life where God wrought great victories would have been because of a false sense of humility. Because it was clearly God. See, to get up there and write a book about me and have um, some reservations about look at me, look at me, the reason we have many times those reservations is because it is looking at me. Paul's not telling us to look so much at him, but at the Christ in him. So again, for him to not admit and highlight those areas in his life where God wrought great victories would have been because of a false sense of humility. In fact, we could probably call it hypocrisy if he did not write Philippians chapter 3. And by his very writing of these things, we find a great example to follow. Again, I don't think it was easy for him to write about how he persecuted the church. I mean, he just, he counted as gain, persecuting the church. That's who he used to be. I don't think that was easy. I mean, I don't want to sit up here and tell you about all the things I failed to do right for the Lord. And certainly you don't want to share those things. If we were to write a book, we would prob- probably leave those things out. So I don't think it was easy for him to write about these things, but he wrote about it anyway. Why? To exalt Christ. And to not give glory for what he has clearly gifted us with, gifted you with, 
or to not use that gift for God would be like betraying the Holy Spirit who gave you that gift. Whether it's a level of holiness in your life, the gift of behind-the-scenes service, maybe musical talent, servant leadership, administration, the gift of friendship, on and on and on. We can talk about these things. We are to be examples of others and not hide those things, not hide what God's done in our lives. For Paul, it was the level of conformity to Christ's death and the level of attainment in living the resurrected life he pointed to, a goal he fell short of by his own words, but still set forth himself as an example. I fall short, but I know who doesn't. Follow me as I follow him. You might be thinking as, you, as we go through Philippians 3, well, if Paul could not attain, or if Paul could not apprehend this prize that he presses towards, what are we to do? What are we to do? We are not apostles. Do, we do not have Paul's specific calling on our lives. Philippians 3 and all these other Um, great passages that define great men and women in the Bible, we're we're not them. Those passages just really about them. And we wouldn't expect Paul's level of obedience, of level of attainment or achievement, if you will. That's just for apostles, right? Right? That's just for them. He's different. He's got got more of the Holy Spirit, right? Or he's he's closer to God, right? That might be true, but he doesn't have more of God. Philippians 3 is something we only expect from them. And we're glad and even thankful that Paul was thus minded. But God doesn't let us stay there. Look at verse 15 again. He says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Be thus minded. He wants us to live like Paul. God wants us to attain, to be on that that level that Paul is on. And Paul, again, is not so much the example as he is a role model of the perfect example. Jesus being that perfect example. Verse 15, again, says, Let us, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. So Paul recruits all Christians who are reading or hearing these words to get in the race with him. To get in the race with him. Again, these are not just words. This is the Holy Spirit of God exhorting us this morning to be thus minded. We are to be made, you and I are to be made conformable unto the death of Christ so that Christ can live through us, so that we can live that resurrected life. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, if you can, if you can picture, if you will, some of us have been to um, some of those ancient ruins of leftover of, of stadiums and stuff, or maybe even modern stadiums. But if you can picture an Olympic stadium or something like, like that with Paul down in the arena, you can also picture him maybe calling out um, from the arena on others to press forward in this race with him for the cause of Christ. He's not just saying, um, go out there and look at me and watch me run this race. He's inviting them. Be thus minded. Come down here and get in line with me and let's run this track. Let me, let me make a loop and give you the baton. I want you to be in this race with me. And as citizens of heaven, as we see in verse 20, we are not to sit idly by as spectators while other Christians press toward that mark. That's what Paul's getting at. We're to be thus minded. We're supposed to be in that same race. We are to also press forward. We are to be made conformable unto his death so that we might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. This should be our everyday goal. Our everyday goal. Verse 16 furthermore states, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same 
thing. Oh, I like this verse because Paul's just talking about how he's not attained, what he, he's not apprehended, he's not reached that level that, of completion, if you will. And now he talks about what he's already attained. He's talking, I have attained something. Whereto we have already attained, let us walk by that same rule. So this speaks of where we currently are in our walk with Jesus. Right now, as we sit in the seats here in this church, where am I out with God? That's what you've attained in your walk with God. And that regardless, as point here, regardless of what we have attained this morning, each and every one of us, regardless of the level of our walk with God, let us keep the same trajectory, Paul says. Let us keep Christ as the cause. Don't look so much at what you've attained. Keep our eyes on Christ. Keep our eyes on the prize. You know, and quite honestly, again, Paul may not have reached perfection in his life. Maybe he did not fully attain or apprehend that for which he was apprehended of in Christ Jesus. But let's be honest, he did attain a whole lot, right? He did apprehend quite, uh, quite more than most. So on one hand, God is telling us through Paul to not focus on how much we have attained, even for the right cause, but to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. In other words, and with the aspect of pressing toward the mark, we are to keep forgetting those things that are behind, our victories, our failures, whatever they may be, and we are to reach forth unto those things which are before us. Because when we dwell, this is very dangerous, I think, I've, I've, I'm guilty of it, when we dwell on how far we have come in Christ, there is always the danger of pride creeping in, convincing us that our efforts enabled us to attain what we have attained, that our efforts. So when we dwell on how far we have come in Christ, there is always the danger of pride creeping in, convincing us that it's our efforts that got us here and not our surrender. You know, if you have ever experienced a revival, a personal revival or a church revival, I'm, I'm convinced I've been in a couple. But if you've ever experienced that, or you're experiencing that right now, I think what Paul is getting at here is don't get fixed on the revival itself. Don't get focused. Don't be dwelling too much on the revival itself, but focus on he who sent the revival. That's Jesus. And if you don't do that, you probably won't be in revival much longer if we focus on what God has done instead of on the God who's, who did those things. God says, don't dwell on what we have attained. Praise God for where you are. Yes, learn from those mistakes. Let them build you into a person and as you serve God and worship God, but don't let them define you. Let Jesus Christ define you. Again, it's not about what we attained in this life. It's not about how far we've even come in Christ in this life. It's about Him. It's about Jesus Christ Himself. Forget those things which are behind, Paul says. I think if Paul were a New Yorker, he'd say, forget about it. Don't, don't worry about those things. Focus on Jesus Christ. So again, on one hand, he says, forget about it and count, and count all those things lost for Christ. But on the other hand, we are to mind the same things, as verse 16 states. We are to recognize others who are thus minded. So it's kind of a it's kind of interesting. Two sides of the same coin here. Well, don't 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 focus on what you have attained. Don't focus on what that other person has attained. Don't be wrapped around the axle on that. Focus on Jesus Christ. But at the same time, notice those people who have attained much. Notice the Apostle Paul. Notice Peter. Notice those people in your life that have reached a certain level. We are to recognize 
when others are thus minded. Look at verse 17. He says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us, for an example. Be followers together of me, and mark them. So again, Paul might not have attained it all, but he did attain much, and he's saying, mark me and follow me. See how I'm surrendered and follow that surrender. So I think it's safe to say that if we likened his Christian achievements to the Olympics, he would probably have the most medals, probably way more than Michael Phelps or whoever else. And while we are not to rest on the laurels of yesterday's achievements, Paul gave himself as an example of pressing toward that mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He is saying, without, without bringing pride in there, that hesitation is gone because he's surrendered to the Spirit. But he, at the same time, he's saying, look at my life. Notice all of the areas that I have been made conformable unto death. He's not saying, look what I have accomplished. Look where I am dead. Look at the death. Because where I'm dead, that's where the life of Christ comes in. And I want to highlight that. Look at the areas and notice all the areas that have been made conformable unto the death of Christ. Look at what God has attained through my surrender to him. What a challenge. What a, what a concept. What a thought there. Now, Paul is like saying, whatever, whatever part I had in this, whatever gain I might have attained through all of this, I counted all a loss for Christ. But notice the path that I'm on. Get in this path. Get in this race. Notice what race I'm on. Don't focus too much on what I've attained, but notice it, yes. But get in this race. All the other races are not worth. They all lead to destruction. Do not be otherwise minded. Follow me, Paul says, and look unto Jesus. I think Paul would even say, pass me in this race. A thousand times pass me, but get in this race. Get in the race and look unto Jesus. And mark those other people who are in this race. Mark those in your life who live for Jesus. And the word Paul used here for mark means to fasten one's eyes upon them. I thought it was interesting that one way to understand that is to put them in your sights. Now, we don't want to shoot at them, um, so don't do that so much. But focus on them. Look at these people. Recognize these folks in your lives. Pay attention to them, Paul says. In other words, if you learn in your life, in your workplace, in your family, in your home, in your sphere of influence, if you will, if you learn that someone is a Christian and that person is like-minded, like Paul, and that he or she strives to be conformed to the death of Christ in order to live a resurrected life, mark that Christian. Follow that Christian. If you learn about a believer who goes out of his or her way just to be holy, not, not snubby, not holier than thou, not like look at me, but just to be holy, Follow that believer. If you find a believer who loves what Jesus loves, who loves reading the Word of God, who loves the church, who loves His holiness, mark that believer. Follow that believer. And by the way, we need more people like that. We need people that we can mark as holy followers of Christ. But then Paul gives us a practical reason on why we should mark them and why we should follow them. He says, because many... Many don't walk that way. There are others who don't follow Christ. He says, Many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, if we were to categorize the book of Philippians, actually, if you were to take the book of Philippians and compare it to every other book in the Bible, it would by far, and you rank them all on 
which one is categorized as a theme of joy or rejoicing, it would be the book of Philippians. The word rejoice and joy is mentioned 20, 30 times there, more than any other book in comparison to its length. It's a happy book. It's a rejoicing book. But right here in the middle, we have Paul crying. I tell you now, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cause of Christ, of the cross of Christ. Now notice what Paul's saying here, because I think it might be easy to miss. He's saying, follow me, follow those like me, and don't follow the other ones. And then he tells us how to identify them. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul wrote, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And that's the key right there. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And the word used there for follow there in 2 Corinthians 11, or 1 Corinthians 11, and the same word here um, that he used here in, in Philippians chapter 3, it actually means to imitate. To imitate, not disrespectfully, but to imitate. Paul is saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And in this race, Paul is, is talking about, and this is the race, rather, that Paul is talking about, the race of being more like Christ, of being imitating, of imitating Jesus. See, if you think about the life of Christ, he lived a perfect life, a perfect life. As a man, he was completely and always dead to self. His whole life was crucified in the, in the flesh, if you will, long before he got to the cross. He was always surrendered to the Father's will. So after writing, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, verse 8 says that after being found in fashion as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Well, when was he fashioned like a man? At, in the conception. From, so from the birth and all the way on, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You don't go to the cross willingly. You don't go to a death like the crucifixion willingly without already being dead to self. I mean, we can use the same thing with Peter. You don't get crucified, as, his, as history tells us, upside down, you know, because you don't want to make, be any similarities with Christ. But Peter, at that point, was probably already crucified to self. It didn't matter anymore because he served Jesus Christ. Again, Paul wrote that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross, a crucified life, the entire existence on this earth. And while it is certainly his atoning death on the cross that paid for our sin, his, quote, not my will, but thine, quote, lifelong mindset, his surrendering mindset, even before the cross, is the mindset that Paul is trying to get a hold of here. I want to live like Jesus lived. I want the mind of Christ. I want to give it all for the Lord Jesus Christ, or give it, give it up for the Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul and for us, there was no mistaking whom Jesus surrendered his human will to, right? Very clearly, in the garden and, and other places. And there would be no mistaking in Paul's mind who he would surrender his will to. It will be God. It will be Jesus Christ. In all points, Jesus was Paul's God. Jesus was Paul's God. But that's not true of these individuals that he warns us about. Look at what their God is. Verse 19 says that their end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. 
Friends, these are some very irrelevant texts that we have here today. And I don't want to be an offensive. I'm just going to share with you what the Lord has shared with me. But I think in this simple passage, God gives us three characteristics of those who are not thus-minded. Three characteristics of those who are not thus-minded. Three telltale signs, if you will, on how to identify enemies of the cross. Notice the contrast. Instead of being made conformable unto the death of Christ in order to live a resurrected life, they were made conformable unto themselves. Their God was their belly, the flesh. This is the opposite of death to the flesh. This is surrendering to the flesh. Now, in context, this is most likely a reference to the Judaizers with their keeping of strict dietary laws in order to please God, uh, or they thought they could please God. Uh, In fact, all of these have, in one way or another, um, an application to the Judaizers. Actually, look at verse verse 2 and 3 again. Actually, look at verse number 1 of chapter 3. To write the same thing to you, to me is in, indeed is not grievous, but to you it is safe. It's good. You need to be reminded of this. Of this. Verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. This is talking about the Jews, and we know that from the contrast he makes in verse number 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit, circumcised in the heart, Versus circumcised in the flesh. Now, he, Paul is not saying that all Jews can't go to can't go, uh, can't be saved, nothing like that. But those who trust in the flesh is what he's talking about here. There in the first part of that. And by the time he gets here, he is saying that they are not conformable unto the death of the flesh, but they are giving completely in to their belly, to their flesh. Again, the opposite of death to self. So it's likely a reference to the Judaizers and their keeping of strict dietary laws, this first one, in order to please God. But it really does have a wide application, does it not? It has a wide application, catching all who live according to the flesh, catching all who live according to their belly. This makes the decision on what I would, how, what pleases me or not, whether it tastes good or whether, whether it's just that in its literal sense or just in the flesh altogether. But second, we read that their glory is in their shame. In other words, the the things they glory in are the things they should be ashamed of. We don't see this today, do we? It's everywhere. From the so-called transgender movement, we have gay pride, we have pornography, we have militant pro-choice activists, and there is much glorying today and what they should be ashamed of. Even among churches, even among God's people, we should not glory in those things that we should, that we should be ashamed of. And lastly, we see the enemies of the cross that they mind earthly things. Very clearly contrasted to heavenly things. They mind earthly things. The very next verse states that our conversation or our citizenship is where? Not on earth, but in heaven. So these three characteristics are to never describe Christians. In fact, in context, I think these specific enemies there in the book of Philippians chapter 3 were not Christians at all. They were not true believers, even though they came from church to church posing themselves as true believers in Christ. But look at it. It says that their end is destruction. Their end is a destruction. And just like we are to mark those who have the mind of Christ and follow them, we are to mark the enemies of Christ so that we do not follow them. Do not be duped, Paul says. In fact, if you were to look at Romans 16, 
I think I got it up here. Romans 16, verses 17 through 18. This is Paul's farewell to the Christian church, uh, the, uh, the Christians there in Rome. In verses 17 and 18 of Romans 16, he says, I beseech you, I beg you, please listen to me. Brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Notice the similarities here. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Don't follow into these traps. What is our takeaway? I think just in, as we look at Philippians chapter 3, we are to mark those and follow those who have the mind of Christ, and we are to mark to avoid those who are the enemies of Christ. And Paul shows us very clearly here how to tell the difference. Surrendered to Christ, death to self, or alive in self and dead to God. Again, how do we recognize those who have the mind of Christ, they, like Paul, consider all things a loss for the cross. They conform daily to the death of Christ so that Christ can live through them. They may not be perfect. They may not have attained what they think they may have attained or what you may think they should have attained. They may not have apprehended or reached as far as they can, even on the daily basis, but they are in the right race. They're in the right race. They're serving God. They're trying to be surrendered. They're, they're striving to be all in. They are pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. They know the mind of Christ, and they are thus minded. This is our lot. This is what we should be. The people that you mark in your lives that follow God, many of them should be sitting in this room. Many of them should be in your family or in the churches that you come from. Mark those people. Follow them as they press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And as we kind of close this morning, I want to point out one last truth. That's found, again, back up there in verse number 15. Paul says, Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. Look at the rest of that verse. If in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. You know, the the entire crux of our message today is based on the foundational truth that God through Paul is exhorting us to be made conformable unto the death of Christ so that Christ can live through us, right? That's that's the whole point. That's what we want to walk away with today, that we are to be made conformable unto the death of Christ so Christ can live through us. And writing to Christians, verse 15 again states, if in anything you don't have that mind, if you are otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Not, Not God might reveal this unto you, not God, maybe, not there's a good chance God's going to reveal this to you. If you have any idea as a Christian that you want to do this, if you do not have the same mind that God has given Paul and that we are to be made conformable unto his death so that Christ can live his resurrected life through us, God shall reveal this unto you. So very practically this morning, as we kind of close, very practically, God knows every area in our lives that we have not conformed unto the death of his son. He knows what we need to crucify. And based on the authority of God's word, so do we. So do we. He says that he will reveal it to us. So do we. He knows what we need to let go and let God take over. As a Christian, 
Are you thus minded? Or do you mind earthly things? Are you an enemy of the cross? Certainly not. But the opposite of that is to be completely dead to Christ, dead to self, and alive in Jesus Christ. And with that said, let's, let's close in a word of prayer this morning.